Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to like the video and subscribe for future content. For more information about our one-on-one coaching and other training or nutrition options, visit giftedperformance.com. Our newest feature, the Gifted Express, offers premium programming for bodybuilders, powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, and lifestyle clients for only $30 a month. Enjoy the video. We'll see you on the next one. And as always, stay gifted. Welcome back. Another episode. Wait, can you hear me? Podcast. Yeah, we can hear you, Paul. Everyone oh, can hear you. Again. Guys, great episode today. Paul's external mic works. Slowly, things are coming together. I'm getting a new mic. Charlie's here. Jay looks handsome. We're all getting new shit for... Whoa, Paul, is that a brand new mic? No, 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 Your... no. I... Oh, now it's really not working. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Paul fixes his mic. You know, this is the GPP, the Get to Performance Podcast, giving you knowledge, practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. Q&A episode when you see these four faces. Actually, these five faces. Charlie, say hello. Hello, everyone. Spotify, if you're listening over there, Apple Podcasts, you're really, really missing out on one handsome fella. Did you see the pictures of Charlie's girlfriend that we saw at the show at Nationals? No. That Jimmy sent? No. Oh, Jimmy, you got to resend Charlie's girlfriend pictures. Like she was a little service dog, just jumped up on the seat with her absolutely massive owner. The dude is fucking huge, stupid yoked, carrying around a Charlie with him at the show. Like bows in her hair. It was real nice. Paul, try and talk again. Let's see if you got a fixed mic. Nope. Negative. Ghost Rider. It is not working. No. We wouldn't lie to you. you. I got feedback. What about now? Yep. I can hear you, but now it's feedback. Really? You're fucking with me. I'm not fucking with you. Why would I fucking with you? Does this do anything? Wait. Does this do anything? I don't know. Does Uh, it? Any? any... No? I guess I'll just not use that, I guess. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get it going. You know, technical difficulties. If you are a mastermind of the microphone, comment below. Let us know what we're doing wrong. We know one thing and one thing only, and that's getting fucking yoked. Yes. Jay, pinch off that loaf. All right. Our questions all today come from my peeps. I put it in the check-in email this week. It'll probably be pretty delayed by the time this comes out. But nonetheless, you're getting your questions answered. The first one comes from Chelsea Brady at Doc underscore Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea asks, how do people stay active enough to eat whatever they want and not have it change their physique? She also says that this seems easier for men. So a lot of this comes down, I think, to to meet to your physical activity outside of the gym In your guys' experience, what has been the biggest disparity in step count, how we measure NEAT, from like your least active client to your most active clients? What has been the range between those two individuals? So we could use me for an example, because my step count's about 2,000 a day. It's fucking impressive. That's a lot. lot. Mine's like 500. It's so low. Yeah, but you don't really track your steps. Paul, don't put me on blast like that. Like, that's fuck. It's impressive. Like, I did nothing yesterday. Didn't go to the gym, didn't leave the house, like, and got 2,000 steps. That's me so, on a day. Do you think, like, do you think, like, that 2,000 is that low mark of, like, that is as low as it goes for, for like, the average person? Dude, it's gotta be, man. Unless you, like, literally don't... The only time I've ever seen a client get less than 2,000 steps, they're like, oh, had to charge my my watch half the day. Like... <laughs> <laughs> All right, now what's, the, now what's the higher end that you've seen? Dom, I think you had a client. I think it was oh, Kim yeah. Peter, right? She yeah. was doing... What was she doing? She's a post office, like, mail delivery person. And she did it, like, in a, like a little city. And she was the only person, dude. She was at like thirty thousand steps a day. <laughs> what? <laughs> Paul, I think you've had some clients that you said that work in the service industry that have been up there as well, right? Yeah, I mean, 
you know, I've had people that worked at grocery stores like full time that are fairly high, like not that high. I'd probably say like 12,000 a thousand ish. I had a female who worked a uh, warehouse job and she taught dance. So she had some 20,000 plus days for sure. Um, I'm trying to think. I have a female right now that is training for a marathon. So it's not all neat. Actually, her, her need is not that high, but she's still moving 50 miles a week and 30 plus of those are like running. Um, but even her step count still only averages out to like 15 K. Jay, have you seen any crazy numbers on either end of the spectrum there? Um, <clears throat> let's see. I've, I've worked with some software development people that can have like some pretty dismal numbers because they just like plug away all day long um so i've seen people at like 1500 steps which amazed me i'm like how did you did you go to the bathroom anytime like what happened there nope um just no, a poop they sock. just do yeah they just I like still oh, got I, don't 2, drink water. I still got 2000 steps a day when i had covid like and i did nothing <laughs> for like three months like paul's like i shit my pants all day i don't leave the desk i still get 2000 <laughs> And I mean, I've seen some wacky so, numbers like, yeah, it's typically like the service industry people. They can, I mean, I work in the service industry and I would, you know, 20,000 steps a day, 25,000 steps a day, stuff like that. Diet on like 5,000 calories, some wacky number that didn't make any sense. But yeah. So using the lower end of that spectrum, we'll say 2,000 using the highest end of that spectrum, 30,000. We got a 28,000 step difference between those two individuals. When you math that out into calories, I don't know what equation you guys use for that, but what's the calorie difference when we're looking at a total difference of roughly 28,000 steps a day? What uh, do you guys use? I use just a rough 100 calories equals 2,000 steps. So I use uh, a bastardized version Um uh, that or, or a small like calculation. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I have it in my spreadsheets. I think it's 0.53 um, times body weight in pounds. Uh, and it roughly equals what the ACM calculator will spit out for flatland walking. So um, let's say somebody was 200 pounds times 0. 0.53 uh, so for a 200 pound person uh, just over 100 calories per um mile walked i have people um use their watch and i average out about how many steps they take in a mile but for the average person usually it's about 2500 ish give or take some really tall people i've had just under 2000 even for a mile but usually about 2500 ish so what's the calorie difference there in your equation for someone uh, for that difference there, that 28,000 step difference for, let's say, someone who is that 200 pound male? So uh, I'll just round to 100. Yeah, um, can't just do it in your head. Basically 11. Oh, mental yeah. math that <laughs> 1100 calories, basically. But people it, it doesn't sound like a lot. Right. But people aren't flatland walking all day. And, you know, I mean, I, I know Florida is a pretty flat. 1100 place. sounds like a lot to me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it kind of is for sure. You know, not including any of the other calorie demands you have through the day and like BMR and RMR or whatever. But, um, you know, like people are walking upstairs They're, you know. Georgia has a lot of hills and stuff and isn't as flat as like Florida or whatever. So if you're walking outside, that can make a difference. Grade makes a huge difference on calorie output. Um, oh, yeah. And then uh, there's a lot of movement people do outside of their steps, too. You know, sitting around, grabbing things, moving around, shaking your legs, stuff like that. Yeah. So, so I think on my equation, it would be something like a 1,400 calorie difference. For yours, it's 1,100. It's non. That's 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 a pretty significant cat over a week. You're looking at you know eight thousand seventy seven hundred eight thousand plus calories. So it can seem like people can kind of eat whatever they want when they are getting those additional steps. But the, I mean, there still are bounds to that. 
Jay, I think you were being somewhat hyperbolic when you said that you were dieting on 5,000 calories. Do you remember the numbers from those preps when you were getting super, super high steps and what you were diet, what you were able to fat loss diet on? Um, <clears throat> let me try to do the math in my head. Cause it, it, for whatever reason, I could diet on the same amount of calories throughout the entire prep usually. So it was like, uh, protein was because I remember my carbs very rarely got under 500. Oh, you're going to um, piss people off. <laughs> yeah. And that's when uh, our a good friend of mine, George Rosado, shout outs to Fitness IQ. He made these shirts called, uh, it was like Macronators or something like that. And it was kind of like, you know, advertising the idea that we were all dieting on ridiculous amounts of carbohydrates. And I think we all just had jobs that were on our feet all the time. So I want to say it was closer to like, 4,200 calories or something like that, but it was a lot of calories. Like people were, they, but the thing was, I was still hungry. Like it didn't matter. Like I just ate a bunch of food to get lean. It really didn't matter. What did you weigh at that time when you were dieting on 4,200 calories? Like, (laughs) (laughs) so that was the year. I mean, I want to think, uh, that was the year we first met Ryan. So that was the year that I competed at like 170 because I was two pounds too heavy. Um, and I just think, remember looking at the photos and thinking that I was two pounds too heavy. Um, so yeah, I was like 170, something like that. But yeah, I pretty much died of that entire prep on some absurd, like 500 calories or 500 carbs, 170 ish grams of protein. And like, that's when I was trying a super low fat approach. So it was probably something ridiculous, like 35 grams of fat or something stupid that didn't make any sense, but it made sense at the time. You were trying to calorically castrate yourself by taking those fat numbers way, way down so that you had no circulating testosterone whatsoever. Yeah, it just seemed like it made sense. I don't know where that came from at all. Um, but the insulin, yeah. bro. The insulin. Yeah. But I remember I was doing that, and I was doing like uh, maybe one or two hit cardio sessions a week, and they were like 15 minutes long. It was like three full, three or four like full uh, effort sprints, and that was it. Now, like that was my whole prep. Dom, here's a question. So let's say you bring in a client who wants to contest prep and they've got a very low step count, kind of like mine or yours would be. Are you going to make a concerted effort to instill some sort of lifestyle change so that they do get more steps? Or are you just going to say, hey, your steps are your steps. That's what it is. That's your lifestyle. And we're just going to adjust the calories accordingly. No, um, I'd probably for a good while bump up their steps. Um like that's what Paul did for me too. And I just was lazy and became less lazy. Um, but I didn't have to do cardio for a while because of that, because my body was just so used to such a low step count that once we started adding like a thousand, 2000 steps every couple of weeks, I, I was losing weight just because of, like my knee was coming up so much that I didn't have to add cardio until like six weeks out of my show. And then even the cardio didn't get that high because the because my increase in overall neat went up so much that I was losing fat at a pretty good rate without having to like kill myself with cardio. So I probably How's like, your try neat to be like, been the last couple of days? Huh? How has your neat been the last couple of days? Has your weight taken a a drop off? Dom's in the process of moving. The actual worst thing known to man is packing up your house and moving it. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so no, my, my needs been high 7,000, 7,000. I'm actually down like four, six, four to five pounds this week. Damn. Jeez. That's all right. Once I get set up, I'm really not going to move. Also, yeah. Like, uh, adding to Dom's thing. I used to, I really like, like, I would love if every client that came to me that was ready to diet, I was like, Hey, we're going to just walk 10 K steps every day. That's what you're going to do. And we probably won't have to do cardio in this process unless they're in contest prep. Maybe at some point they will need cardio. But like uh, a lot of like for just I just mean anybody coming to me wanting to diet and get leaner or whatever. I get to eat a lot more food. And, yeah, they may not need any cardio through that entire process. But some people really fight it, man. Um, 
and, and also some people just they uh, their lifestyle isn't really built for it. And so they don't want to, you know, they might have to go outside and walk for 40 minutes at the end of the day to get those steps in. So like with those people that really fight it, and I've tried, I've tried fighting with people and trying to get them to see the light of like how great it is to not have to sit on a piece of cardio equipment, maybe sneak in some of your steps throughout the day, pace a little more in the gym between sets. Um, Cause you can knock out like three or 4,000 steps while you're at the gym. You know, you take like a 10 minute walk in the morning, grab a thousand, a 10 minute walk at night, get a thousand. And then your normal two to 3,000 that you're already getting through the day. And you're probably at like 10K and it wasn't that hard, you know? Um, run some errands on the weekends and stuff, do fun stuff, maybe go hiking occasionally or whatever. Um, but for like other people, what I'll try to do is just get them, figure out what their baseline is and maybe just push them up a couple thousand just to have like a little extra of something and maybe pull away from the cardio a little bit and just try to get them to be more mindful and then just not really be super aggressive with the steps. Jay, you actually mentioned something that was interesting. You mentioned that despite the fact that you were on higher calories because your step count was high, you were still hungry. Do you want to expand upon that point? As Because I think a lot of people are under the impression that if I can eat more food during prep, I won't be as hungry. And they're often disappointed to find out that's not the case, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, uh, so you're in a situation where there, you just have low energy availability. So you know, your body wants to make sure that there's enough calories to sustain whatever activities you need to do. So at that point, you're going to receive some hormonal response, basically telling you that you need to eat because you don't have enough energy available to do the things that you need to do just to make it through your day to maintain, you know, that ridiculous step count and training and all those things. Um, regardless, you're still going to feel hungry because your body, it's a survival mechanism. So your body doesn't care that you're eating a lot of food or that you have a diet or, you know, a bodybuilding contest coming up. Um, it wants to live. So it's going to send a bunch of hormonal responses because your energy availability is still low. So it doesn't really matter how many calories I was eating or how many carbs I was eating or any of those things. Um, I still felt all the things that everybody feels when they're deep in a prep. I felt all those things. I'd imagine probably you're eating like five gram, hundred grams of carbs still like towards the end of contest prep. Like maybe that first 10 to 30 minutes post meal, you're like, I'm feeling real nice. And then the rest of the time until the next meal, you're like, God damn, I can't wait until that next meal. <laughs> like, right? And it was, it's like a weird thing where like, it seemed awesome to eat a lot of food and that's cool. But it was like, my body was fighting two things. It was like, I was hungry, but I got to eat a lot of food. It was like this weird, like, I don't have to eat that much food, but then I also have to kind of stave off how fast my body weight would just crash. You know, if I, if something weird happened and I had to space out my meals for a bunch I might see that like the next day on the scale or if I had to eat, you know, I was working in hospitality at the time. So there are times where I would have to sort of front load my meals. So I'd eat like a good amount of my food before six o'clock because I knew I wouldn't be able to eat again until like midnight the following night. And if something weird happened at that meal at midnight, I might get on the scale the next day and it might be like a pound or two lighter, but it's basically just food bowl. So I was like constantly trying to fight off all of those things just so I could lose weight at a rate that made sense. Um, especially, you know, as a, as a drug-free competitor, that's basically what you're doing through a diet. You're basically trying to fight off wasting away over time. Uh, so it's just tough. Like it sounds really glamorous to eat a lot of food and be able to die at the same time, but it's really not as cool as it sounds. Yeah. I, think for sure point. I think the only that, exception you know, I've ever heard is, uh, Char Charlie Jung. I mean, he's in his off season right now. Uh, I think he said he eats like 10,000 grams of carbs a day. He eats a, an absurd amount of fucking food. Um, and I think it was him. He he was the, he's the only person I've ever heard. And also the only person I've ever met that eats that much food. And I was like, honestly, contest prep wasn't that, that rough. <laughs> but I'd imagine if you're finishing your contest prep eating, because I'm, I'm sure he was still, I, I haven't asked him, but. Um, I mean, he eats an ungodly amount of food. I'm sure it was fucking over 5,000 calories or something. I'd have to ask him though. Don't quote me on that. Dude, you know what else was interesting? <clears throat> when I went from working in hospitality to not, 
the amount of like how different it was from the amount of food that it took to maintain my weight or lose weight, it changed drastically because I had two contest preps, like contest prep where I was working hospitality and I could die on like 3,500 calories or something like that, or somewhere in between 3,500 and 4,000. And then the last contest prep where I was working from home and I basically sat on my ass all day as a keyboard warrior, I was eating like 1,700 calories, 1,800 calories. Like it made a drastic difference. Yeah. The disparity is huge there when you get that occupation change. Yeah. I want to throw one more thing out too, because like, Sometimes it's a little bit misleading and I'm going to use, uh, well, I have a friend and a client as an example where they seemed like they could eat whatever they want because they were always posting donuts and, you know, pizza or whatever, um, all the time on their Instagram. And granted they, they can get a, uh, for their body weight, they can eat quite a bit of food, but it's nothing extraordinary. It's not like 7,000 calories a day can actually eat whatever they want, but he would have this bad habit of not starting to eat early enough in the day. And so he would have to make up his calories in the evening and do that by just backloading tons of fucking junk. And so everybody's just like, man, I wish I could stay lean and eat whatever I wanted like you. But honestly, he would often be in a deficit because he just couldn't get all that food in in, in that short amount of time. That, that's, that's been me the almost the past two weeks. I like haven't been eating until like one o'clock. So then by the time the end of the day comes, I'm like, I have like 2,400 calories left. Like, and I'm throwing together like this whole big bowl of pasta, this, that, whatever, just to get the calories in. But like, that's a good point. Cause like a lot of people post like that, like, oh, I'm eating a whole pizza, but really you just haven't eaten all day. You're trying to make up for your calories right now as fast as you can. Um, I do think too, she said, I, You're, we can't hear you. Can you hear me? Now we can. Now we're good. Uh, now we're good. Men do tend to have more, I, I don't want to say more physical. The step count might be the same, like for a woman and a man, if they're both working at the grocery store, for example, but men might be doing more stocking or more of those types of jobs where there's high step count and high physical labor versus, you know, the woman with the high step count job. So there might be a difference in that, too, um, which might be why men tend to be able to eat whatever they want kind of thing. And then even the women, like you see a lot, like Dina, she can eat pretty much anything, doesn't gain weight. But why? It's probably more so because she eats whatever she wants one or two times a day to where she might actually still be in a deficit at the end of the day. Uh, that's one thing like they that I've now that I've gotten so analytical and quantified so much with clients. That's what I've came to see a lot, like the girls that eat whatever they want, but don't gain weight. Most of the time, it's because they're only eating that once or twice throughout the day. They have a decently high active neat, and it's enough to, you know, cancel out any kind of weight gain that would have happened. Yeah. Those are really good points, and it sort of made me think about, too, like, one, um, I think per, like, I want to say from memory, like even like lifting weights, I think there was a study done where they measured how many calories a guy burns versus a female burns. And for the guy, it's more. And then, you know, I I guess on the surface too, like men are generally bigger. So per any movement, we're going to burn more calories too. But I've also sort of felt like um, just observationally, and there could be other things going on, like maybe the females I coach weren't following the plan to a T like they said they were or whatever. Um, but I've sort of felt like I've noticed, like I can have a guy with a, a high step count job and we go into dieting and that works really well for them. It sets them up in a good spot. We don't have to add a lot of cardio and it works really well. But then like, sometimes I'll have a female with a very high step count, 15, 20 K and we go into dieting and it almost just seems like it, it doesn't help them as much as it should. And we still have to add in some cardio or like, you know, and maybe it just comes back to women just being maybe a little more adaptive, a little more resilient, you know, the whole evolutionary aspect. I don't know. 
Yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking of that uh women's female's physiology is just I call I always say that like men's physiology it's kind of stupid. It's like you get very simple inputs first outputs where women there's so many things that are constantly in flux all the time that it makes it a little bit more difficult. And I think also that that muscle piece, like men just tend to have more muscle and muscles just it's like calorically expensive. Like it just takes more calories to maintain muscle and it just because you burn more calories. So I think that could also have a little bit to do with it as well. Yeah. And I think even uh, in terms of the, uh, I guess, muscle to body fat, I guess, ratio is a little different for is very different for men versus women, you know, just in general. And so like the more muscle you have or, or the less fat you have compared to your muscle, I guess, the more calories you can eat relative to your body weight. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 No, I think everyone kind of brought up some good, some good points there. Women for sure more adaptive on the hormonal side than men. They adapt quicker and to a much higher magnitude. I, I, I personally believe that the biggest component here is probably the body size component is just that for every unit of work, regardless what that work is, a larger mass will expend more energy. And like Paul said, more times than not, men are just going to have a higher mass than women. Dom, you actually brought up some good points of some stuff that I hadn't, uh, I hadn't really thought about the like. The, the example of Dina is a really good one. I, it seems like, it seems like women do that more than men where they just like eat that, like one meal or like the two meals and the two meals are like whatever they want. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, how much can you actually put down in those two meals when you're a woman that's Dina's size? Dina's Dina probably has like, well, like two slices of pizza and she's like, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. I'm okay. Yeah, I hate so usually. Much and like and but like again, somebody would look at her and be like, "Oh, she eats pizza for dinner, eats whatever she wants at lunch, and she doesn't gain any weight." But in reality, how much on a calorie swing was that actually? Because she, she's a nurse practitioner, so she's on her feet at work all day long, seeing patients and whatnot. So she's got to hide and eat decently, and it just like, it doesn't add up all the time. That's why that's why I kind of get annoyed when people are like, "Oh, you can do whatever you want, I'll gain weight." And I'm like, no, <laughs> there's more to it. <laughs> Dom, you said that since you've started like quantifying this stuff, the kind of like mysteries around these disparities have kind of uh, kind of like gone away. Are there still any areas in this like men versus women fat loss that mystify you if like everything is being quantified or is it just? Are you more of like a, I understand it now. It's an inputs and outputs thing. It, uh, I've, I've learned to understand a lot of it now, but I still run into issues like when looking at like female blood work. Um, like my next thing that I'm really focusing on is just like overall hormones for the women. Like uh, just their, like looking at sex hormones specifically for them. Like how can we, you know, why are, why are things going astray for a woman with, you know, these markers versus a guy with those same markers don't see the same issues. Um, Matt Cusano and I have been talking a lot on body techs and he's been helping me with just understanding like uh, women's sex hormones in relation to other things like thyroid conversion or like overall digestive issues. Uh, like why are these things happening? Uh, like I have a client um, who I'm taking, like we're taking her off birth control. It's been 15 years now. And uh, Matt, Matt actually was helping me set up like a protocol to start her with. And just a lot of the things made a lot of sense, like being suppressed for that long. Her sex hormones were in the gutter for so long that she was pretty much functioning off adrenaline all day. So she had like high adrenal, like I don't like to call it adrenal fatigue, but you know, her adrenals were constantly pumping. So like her cortisol on her blood work was almost a 40. So seeing cortisol that high was like, okay. She's obviously super, super adrenaline driven because her sex hormones are in the garbage. Her thyroid was trending towards hypothyroidism and she had the worst digestive issues. Now she's off of it and we're using things just to bring up her progesterone, bring up her testosterone so that she can aromatize more to estrogen and just kind of balance out those. And she's already feeling better. So 
I think there's a lot more that goes with women's sex hormones versus guys' sex hormones and how they could feel differently on different types. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. Podcast with Matt. That's a good one. Got to get that episode rocking. Got to get that episode rocking. All right. That would be a good one, too. Doc. Chelsea, Chelsea, hopefully we answered your question, cleared some of that up. The next question comes from Dylan at Dylan underscore J underscore Walker. Uh, Dylan wants to know, what are some of the ways that supplement companies trick so many people into thinking their products will work? There was a second part of the uh, question that said uh, something to the effect of, we all know that only the saucy sauce We'll get the job done, but we'll leave that piece of the question off and we'll just look at some of the ways, the most common ways that supplement companies bamboozle or hoodwink individuals into purchasing their products. So what are some of the marketing strategies that stand out to you guys that you're like, come on, but seemingly always fool people? They pay a lot of top people to say they use the product. That's (laughs) number one. Um, I think now, like we had the gaming podcast with Zaryu and like those guys have huge followings in the esports world. So like, you know, uh, some supplement companies are coming out with like, oh, you, you can take this product to focus on your gaming. So like they put together a nice little commercial of like really high, you know, like crazy gunshots and call of duty because I took this, I could focus better kind of thing. So that's one thing. And then I, I have some stories because I've worked with people who are with supplement companies that needed to diet down to post before and afters of taking the supplement. Like, so I've experienced that firsthand. And uh, another, I worked with a woman that's, uh, she actually owns this company that does like the like ultrasound, like fat shrinking, like sculpting thing. But would die uh, nice. year round to stay cool in shape. sculpting. Yeah, nice. So nice. They all they all have coaches. They all diet. It's not just the subs. Yeah, I gotta read some more about that cool sculpting. Lyle has actually been posting a good bit about like uh, cryolipolysis and like some research showing that it is like somewhat effective. But the route that they have to go is a little bit more extreme. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit my, uh, it. My, the gym I train at just brought it in. Like, you could pay for oh, sessions. Yeah. Dude, it's like three sessions for $1,400. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Be still my beating heart. Jay, what are some, uh, what's some supplement company fuckery that grinds your gears? I think Dom hit it right on the head a bit. I mean, usually before and afters, that was real big uh, when magazines were a thing. I think magazines are still a thing. I don't know. Um, But that was like real big before and afters because you could just have somebody stick their belly out and give them shitty lighting and they'd frown. And then you take another picture like five minutes later, change the lighting, have them smile and suck in their stomach. And all of a sudden they've made a transformation. Um, So that was really big before. And especially now with social media. You can basically get anybody to say that anything works. And as long as they've got a following, at least a few people are going to buy it. Um, you know, even uh, what is that stupid thing that we were talking about? God, I, this guy, hopefully he's not listening to this. What was that belly thing? What's it called? The something belt? Oh, the old breath belt. The breath belt. Yeah. So that's kind of a prime example. If you get some people behind it. Also, people tend to, uh, if you use... Jargony words is jar. I think jargony is an actual word. But if you use a so. bunch of scientific jargon, you can make something sound a lot more valid than it actually is. Like you can sell shit to people if you just use some percentages, just in any sentence at all, people will buy into it. And it just and people don't want to do the research. They they're also looking for the easy way out, and they would much rather like to hear that this thing will get me there. As opposed to, I just have to eat less food and move around a bit and do some resistance training. It sounds a lot cooler if you say, like, you know, uh, this special supplement will uh, is guaranteed to lose uh, 85% of your body fat 
in two weeks. Like that sounds like the thing to do, I think. So people get real tripped up by that because they don't really want to put in the hard work. What supplement was that? Because I'm trying to take that. I'm trying to lose 85% of my body fat. Hydroxy cut. Come on, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you'll lose 85% of your body fat because your liver will go into failure and you'll be in the hospital. But good God, you'll be looking shredded when you're on that hospital bed. Paul, what do you think? Uh, I, dude, I think you guys hammered it. I think what's really huge now that I like that you brought up is uh, the scientific jargon. And, I mean, it's not even just uh, – supplements but a lot of coaches now like you're throwing out like biochemistry words and terms and processes and not elucidating any of it you know just being like <laughs> yeah these are the words uh, i'm not gonna get into it too deep just know that downstream this happens i think that's like the term downstream, downstream. Where, downstream. Where it, like <laughs> there's like an 80 percent chance this dude doesn't really know what he's talking about <laughs> um we just skipped everything downstream Big muscles, uh, <laughs> muscle protein synthesis. Yeah, um, yeah and cascade. Cascade's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, man. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to think back because <laughs> these days, for several years now, ever since I started getting more into science stuff, it's almost in some ways worked against me because there are some okay supplements, but my mindset is nothing works now. And, like, it takes a really strong argument to convince me that something's worth fucking trying. I'm working um, on it. I'm working you a little bit. Yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> Dom has, yeah, um, changed me a little bit for the better. But um, I'm thinking back to, like, when I was just a young idiot and I just wanted something to work so bad. You know, like walking into GNC and like seeing stuff behind glass cases and being like, that's got to be it. That's what I need. Um, or like, I remember I walked into the barracks and I just got this new muscle tech supplement and some kid like was like, let me see. And he like grabbed it and he was like, that says anabolic on it. These are drugs. And I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, this is exactly what I need though. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, like, uh, I remember at one point, like seeing like a supplement name that was like cross reference with a drug name, you know, like I can't think like trend ball or something. Huh? Hard <laughs> test. You're like, Oh, that's it. That's it. It's got the word hard and test in it. It's gotta be good. Exactly. Dude. Oh man. I don't know though. You guys hit, hit I think a lot of the main big ones. Was like Isn't the, there a pre-workout the called cocaine? There is. There should be. There is. Wow. Or at least an energy drink. They would have like Ronnie Coleman like flexing on the cover of like creatine. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You yes. take twenty grams a day. You have to load your creatine. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, back in at the day, you go to like. At that point, if they told Ron, if they told Paul that he had to load the creatine rectally, I think that he would have been like, "Well, I mean, Ronnie said he did say." <laughs> Dude, back I think in what the day, frustrates like, me the most, the Wild West. Like, I think what frustrates me the most is like the. Jay, are we just gonna keep interrupting each other? Not when he's frozen. Wait. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go. Ready? You guys had your chance. Fuck you. It's my turn now. I think what frustrates me the most, I got a quick one, is when people take like a mechanistic action of a supplement and they're like, this will happen in real life. Like, it will for sure happen in practice. Like, a lot of these like glucose disposal agents, like a lot of these like GDA supplements, and they're like, increases insulin sensitivity so therefore it'll just like i don't even fucking know like shove the carbs straight out your b-hole or something like that it'll like just soak them all up and they won't have calories anymore and it won't matter and people are like sweet downstream cascade effects i love it <laughs> sounds great to me that's the one that, that frustrates me the most because a lot of times like there is a mechanism to explain how these supplements work like the mechanism is perfectly fine but when you have someone take the supplement for 12 weeks and they're 60% body fat, but you had them take this like curcumin extract, which was supposed to increase their like glucose disposal. And they're like, well, what the hell? Like I didn't change anything else about my life. And 12 weeks later, I'm still a diabetic. It's like, okay, that doesn't, you know, that's not really what's going to happen in practice. That's probably what frustrates me the most. Mechanism. Cool. Show me how it works in real life. 
Now you can go, Jay. Now you can go. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. I mean, in that same, (laughs) in that same bit, that was kind of what I was going to say. I mean, uh, back in the day in the nineties, it was like, that was like the wild west. Um, supplements were just crazy back then. You could basically sell, you know, you could sell some of the Mexican creatine over the counter, not over the counter. It's usually like locked up. They're like, Oh, let me get you the good shit. And they like unlock and like, Hey, check this out. And it did have the words usually hard test anabolic. It had all the keywords that would get you, you know, that those are all the Man, things that you needed. I wish I owned a supplement yeah. company in the nineties. <laughs> Dude, it was, it was so wild. Shout outs to Bob's nutrition in winter park, Florida, that guy, love that guy. But, um, but yeah, I think a little bit of also, as I just thought about it's, so some of those supplements, there is some validity there, but the thing is, it's often not valid in the, I guess the avenue that most people are pursuing. So if you, if a supplement shows some sort of validity in, uh, an endurance sport, there's no sort of, it doesn't necessarily like if you're doing a set to 10, that there, that doesn't work for you. That's not, you're not, that it no longer, uh, it's not valid anymore. So I think, and there's Paul, that. We were raging about this. Yeah. Yeah. And most supplements, they don't, very few supplements are used for strength and power. It's usually endurance at the end of the day. Most of them, I want to say. Or if it's used in strength and power, it was tested on like a Wingate, you know, cycle ergometer yeah. test. Like, you know what I mean? Very, very yeah. Yeah, <laughs> look at so, that. I mean, side. it's like, oh, Paul's upset. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and it's like these these time to exhaustion trials, and they're like, well, you know, this person cycled forty six minutes instead of forty four. So if you take this during your next set of barbell back squats, <laughs> like your your forty six minute set of barbell back squats will turn into a forty eight minute set, and think about how much bigger and swoller you'll get. That's two we'll extra minutes like, of back squats. We'll take like old people that are in bed rest. Or some shit. <laughs> like <laughs> it's not the same. Dude, I mean the muscle tech, the muscle tech ad. You can add it was like thirteen point six pounds of lean mass in like three weeks, like Johnny over here. Love that. All right, let's hit this next one here. I'm actually gonna jump one ahead. I'm going to go with Steve's question next. All right. The next one comes from Steve Carroll at Steve underscore Rebucks. Jay, you know, Steve, just as Steve, well as Steve. I do. I don't know what Rebucks is. What is Rebucks? I think it's is that a, like his maiden uh, name. I think it's a gamer tag. Steve's a giant door. Oh, is I it? think it's a gamer. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Some loser shit. Just yeah. kidding, Steve. We love you. Um, all right. So Steve, I think this was like a part satirical question, but it kind of like, it kind of like starts a good conversation. He says, you know, I don't really question much. If the folks at gifted performance say it, I trust it. So what do you guys think is kind of like the danger behind this mentality? Cause I think we've all been down this road, right? We found someone that like their information resonated with us. So we then trusted everything that they said. Well, I think you should yeah. question everything. Not what the government told me, though. They're looking out for us, man. Always. Now we're going to get censored. Thanks. Of course we are. We already got censored. Jay's making jokes about slavery. It's not funny, Jay. <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's, let's get into that real quick. And, you know, and I think <laughs> I can segue right into this here. Um, <laughs> you know, if GP says it, I trust it. Uh, I believe her name is Sheena. She may be listening. I hope you're listening, Sheena. So I made a joke. But Jay needs to talk to you. I made a, it was a joke last episode. It may have been the last episode. I don't know when we, we talked about that. And I made a joke in reference to slavery. And it's not necessarily what I was getting at is that there's a lot of giant human beings that are fast, they can jump high and do some things within the black community, right? And a lot of that is due to. I hate to break it to you, Sheena. Uh, slavery. If you found a giant black dude fresh off the boat and you needed him to pick as much cotton as possible, you would probably mate him with the giant black woman that could also pick cotton as fast as possible. You would put those two people together, hence the NFL. So, yes, it was a slavery Seems joke. kind of like overkill, right? Just to like start mixing the elite of the elite just to pick up some cotton. 
Like, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When when China was like, hey, we're going to make a really, really good basketball player, and they created the legend known as Yao Ming, they selectively chose, you know, very tall people. That was There was no racism uh, they, they going on there. Shit, dude. They put that embryo in a Petri dish. They, they fucked around with it. And they I got like Yao. Think, That's a hot take. I That's like a hot take right was there. Like, I like to think he was a freak accident. Like they made him in the lab and they were like, what the fuck are we supposed to do? Yeah. This? Like, <laughs> Give him a basketball. So here's, here's what just happened on this episode right here. Steve saw the timestamp and he was like, I don't want to hear anyone else's questions being answered. I just want to hear mine. And he clicks the timestamp and, and Jay is like, Hey, Sheena, we got to have a conversation about like, what I said about slavery and Yao Ming and all of that, but let's you know, let's bring out our fishing poles. Let's reel it back in a little bit. Let's reel it back. I apologize, Sheena, for that comment. If you were offended, um, I'm going to make some jokes, and most of them are probably going to be offensive to somebody at some point in time. And I'll apologize for this one, but probably not anymore in the future. Let's bring it back. That's your punch card. That's your one punch that you got on the apology card. We need to we need to clip in Conor McGregor apologizing to no one right now. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the f- he wants. <laughs> That's how I feel. Perfect. All right. So, and we, I think we've been down this road before. I can admit that, you know, when I first discovered the content of someone like, like Lane Norton was someone that I kind of went down this road with, or the content of like someone like Mike Isretel, um, the way that these individuals speak is very endearing. It brings you in. What they say seems very logical and without any further questioning of the material all of a sudden you're assigning people 45 sets of traps per week. Why are you doing it? Well, because volume is the key driver of hypertrophy and nothing else matters. So just do as much as you can for as long as you can. In retrospect, bad idea. Should have questioned it. Should have gotten material from other individuals on the subject before I went forward with it. What are some other dangers you think behind this mentality of like buying into this? It's kind of like tribalism, right? It's like you're in your like tribe of exercise science or training or whatever it is. Well, I think it keeps um I think it keeps somebody so closed minded one way kind of thing. And like they don't really maybe you know, maybe uh high volume for that person would work, but the coach they're with only believes in low volume. So they didn't see as much growth as they could have because their coach, you know, thinks one way or doesn't question other things. I mean, people, uh, like people say it about me even like, Oh, he likes repetitions and reserve now, but a year ago he was an all out failure one set kind of thing. But then I experienced it firsthand, did RIR saw way better results and kind of implemented it with my clients now, but I'll still, I'll still adjust training. If a client doesn't like RIR, um, just because they can't wrap their head around it or whatever it is. But I think it's important to still question because you, because there could be some dangers with that, you know, especially when it comes to like, uh, you know, super supplements and things like that. Some coaches are really hell bent on one way, um, you know, versus how other coaches do things. Um, so that there, there's a lot of dangers around that I could see. Yeah. I, uh, I think one of the biggest sort of potential dangers is just that when you're really dogmatic, you know, um, you you really limit your versatility and your ability to like either solve problems for yourself in new situations or clients. And I mean, you're just stuck. You can only grow and do so much. And you're when you're less dogmatic, you're open to hearing different viewpoints, considering those viewpoints maybe exploring why those viewpoints are good or bad or the or the positive and negative of different viewpoints you just have so many so many more tools you know just at your availability to enhance either your success or somebody else's success um yeah man and as far as like we go uh i feel like you should believe everything that we say but um 
<laughs> but I right. know us, right? Like, I know that we're good dudes, that we have, like, the best intentions at mine. And sometimes, um, we uh, like, I know I've been wrong from time to time. And I've changed my opinion on things from time to time. And I, I think that's a really good thing to look out for in the individuals that you listen to as well, is, like, have they just been saying the same shit for five, ten years? Or ha- have has there been, like, small shifts in their viewpoint over time, you know? Um, th- those are people that – and, like, people who are willing to admit, like, hey, you know, oh, this – I used to say this. I know I used to say this, but um, – you know, that was a little short-sighted or more information has come out or I've learned new things and now I feel, you know, differently about this topic. Like, those are probably the people that you want to uh, look at a little more, you know? Yeah, I think it's funny that, you know, people said like, oh, you know, Dom, you used to be like a one set to failure guy. Now you're an RIR guy. It's like, they're trying to use it like a knock on you. Like, oh, you're, you're all over the place. You're changing it up when actually it's like the biggest compliment they can give you. It's like you're open-minded and you're willing to change your mind and you know exactly why you were wrong in the past. What irks me is when people like change from something like failure to RIR and you're like, oh, like, why did you make that change? I'm like, oh, well, I used to like watch a lot of content from like trained by JP and now I watch more stuff from like Dr. Mike. It's like, okay, so you're not actually learning along the way. You're not making informed (laughs) decisions as to why you're changing your mind on these things. You're just changing it based on whoever's YouTube channel you're subscribed to at the current moment. That's I mean, one that kind of like makes I me mad that's fine laugh too. a little bit. I think that's fine too, as long as after some time of the process, they can reflect back and be like, okay, this is what worked well about this one versus this one. And now I do this yeah. because of whatever reason, you know? Um, maybe they go back to the other form of training. I doubt it because RIR is just better, but like, uh, <laughs> not fucking around. But I mean, dude, even me, like, uh, when I first started coaching, I would talk so much trash on like failure training, you know, and I would, you know, really trying to like sell people on RIR and stuff. But like these days, um, I still do very much so favor training with repetitions and reserve using, uh, failure, um, you know, uh, more strategically in specific situations or times of training or whatever. But like now, like uh, if I had a conversation of like failure versus like, you know, more reserved to training or whatever, like the conversation would sound very different than it did two or three years ago, you know, and I'd be more like, okay, well, failure has a place here in this circumstance. It has these certain benefits and these downfalls. And this is where RIR, you know, feels sort of like, the the gaps there but also you know maybe you know because because there's going to be benefits and downfalls to a- every style of training and everything you know you're always sacrificing one thing for another thing heard that <clears throat> yeah i think that ability to kind of change your you know your thoughts on certain things is a, i don't want to say it's a, it shows a high level of intelligence but it just means that you're asking questions about things and i think there is a probably the danger behind the mentality of not asking questions and just taking everything on face value. And I think that's probably one of the one of the biggest benefits of you know higher education is that you learn to question things and how to question things and how to come to an opinion on one way or the other. And on most topics, usually the answer is kind of somewhere in between as opposed to, you know, there's often, we get the idea that everything's got to be super polarized. I pick one way or the other, where the answers are almost always somewhere in the middle. So it it might not even be that it's RIR training or failure training all the time. It's probably somewhere in the middle most of the time. So I think that's kind of like the mentality is dangerous just because of that. And I mean, I personally, I'm kind of a natural skeptic like if i read anything i'm like oh this is bullshit and then i read it i'm like okay, well, maybe a little bit less bullshit than i thought it was before i started reading it so i think uh you know that the mentality of just kind of accepting things and i don't think steve probably wasn't overly serious about that but uh because i i know he questions a lot of things but i think there is a little bit of a danger behind the mentality of just taking everything on face value especially these days because there, there's a lot of shit out there um, in fitness and outside of fitness. Uh, so it, it's probably best to ask questions. Some of my 
And I say it all the time. My best clients are the ones that ask questions all the time. You know, that they're like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Like, why are we doing this instead of that? Why can't I go to failure here? Those are often the best clients because it lets me know that they're interested in the process and they're not just following the things that I say sort of blindly. Well, and then when they do it, the, the buy-in there is actually authentic. They have something to believe. I really like um, what you said, though, as like the, the answers in the middle. You know, I think like early on when I got into this um, and even now, like the, the exercise science research and nutrition research for like uh, bodybuilding specific related topics is still like not phenomenal. Um, and, you know, there's still a lot more to be done. But, you know, early on when we had even less to go off of like 10 years ago and shit like that, like it was very easy to just like hear one really good opinion or read like one study and be or something like that just get some information and cling on to it as like this is what you do you know and then i think now that you know a lot more has come along and we're just exposed to more information there's more research it, it's just a lot easier to be like well um fuck there, there's not just one way like like the scope of what works is is so fucking large you know <laughs> Like in terms of, especially like training, I mean, once again, the research isn't that great. A lot of it's in beginners, everything works in beginners, but you start comparing different training styles and you're like, well, fuck, not very many of these seem to be that much better than other ones, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, even if you think about it, it's like how many reps per set? Five to 30. How many sets per week? 10 to 20. That's like a massive yeah. range. And those are the averages. Those aren't even like exact numbers. So the average it's if it's a if the average is is t there's a difference of 25 points between the uh, that just it goes to show one like you said paul that as far as research goes especially for growing muscle it's not very good it's kind of shit and at the end of the day most things work but there's also a lot of shit that doesn't work but even the research kind of shows that we don't really know what works so give everything a try, but definitely ask some questions like as to why this may be the solution. Yeah. I would say the most feverish arguments that people get into, whether it be training, nutrition, whatever it is, are all surrounding very fringe topics. So like even an argument between like what's better, RIR training or failure training is somewhat of a fringe topic. Because like you said, like both are going to grow muscle. So if your goal is to grow muscle, you can really choose either of those modalities. And when we look at, you know, which one is optimal, optimality often relies on the individual. It's on an individual case-by-case -case basis, what they psychologically prefer and what their physiology responds better to. I think there's something to be said, too, for application. You know, because a lot of people just want the thing answered, failure, non-failure training. And it's <laughs> like, um, well, I mean, it depends on how you apply it. Like, you could do uh, failure training and probably not grow at all. You know what I mean? And then you could also do RIR-based training and probably not grow at all, you know? Like, you, like there's going to be, like, some fairly large differences in how you apply the two training styles. You know what I mean? Like, you can't do the same volume. For, for both styles of training. You know what I mean? You, you probably like, does that make sense? Yeah. Here's a follow-up question. Do you think it might be better for the overly pedantic and neurotic bodybuilder to possibly just have one thing that they can buy into and go with? Like, do you think it's better to, for someone who obsesses over this stuff to just give them one thing to latch onto and let them go, whether it's RIR or failure just so that they stop obsessing about the difference between the two and they choose something and go with it? No. No? No. Because I feel like you're doing you're you're not doing what you should be doing as a coach. Just giving them just to feed their need and let them go. I feel like you still should because I had a client like that that was like gun ho, Jordan Peters, I'm gonna fucking die one set. And now he's doing RIR training. <laughs> Yeah, but what if research comes out like 10 years from now and it's like, you know, failure training is the only way. Well, I hope I'm not coaching in 10 years from now. <laughs> <laughs>
Dom's retirement plan is to retire before it's found out that he was wrong the whole time. <laughs> well, see, like that research will never happen, though. You know, like I I can already tell you what's going to happen. There will be some studies that show the fucking same. There'll be a handful that show failure is a little better, like a few of those, a few that show RIR is a little better. And then there'll be a bunch of shit in the middle that we're just left to fucking pick up the pieces and interpret and be like, oh, well, RIR didn't work here because they didn't do enough volume. And like the failure arm did like way more fucking volume or like the RIR group didn't just didn't even work hard enough because all their sets were seven reps from failure. You know what I mean? Like all done on leg, <laughs> all done on leg extensions. Yeah. What, yeah. what you don't realize is, is you just gave me everything that I needed. You said some of them show that failure is better. I win. I can reference those until the day I die and you fucking lose. I'll make cool looking infographics. I'll get Ronnie Coleman on board. I'll use all the supplement marketing fuckery to defeat you, Paul. And then you look like Train the asshole. Failure, folks. You, then you look like the asshole when I pull up the same study and I'm like, well... All their sets were set. Oh, you think I care? You think I care about looking like an asshole? Every day I wake up and I look like this. This is all that I got. That's a big issue, too, that I've been finding. Like, with with educated people cherry-picking studies that go right with their narrative the whole time. But, like, I'm seeing it now with, like, even bodybuilders that are, like, on the scientific edge of things. But just cherry-pick studies that they're, like, this is why I do this. Here's the study of why. And then I look at the study and I'm like, dude, this isn't even peer reviewed. It's not even in a journal. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it's like you read some of these articles and very, I don't think I've ever read a paper that said like unequivocally, this is the answer. This is the thing we're looking for. This is the thing we research. And we can say with 100% certainty that this is the response. And it, it just doesn't happen at all, especially when it comes to anything to do with physiology, because there's too many variables to take. Nobody trains in a lab. That just doesn't exist. And if you take someone outside of a lab, there's far too many variables to take into account. So even like you put somebody in, say, a metabolic ward, sure, you can control their nutrition. But as soon as they're outside of the metabolic ward, that's probably not how they behave in general. Someone's training in the gym and somebody, you know, the whole lab is yelling at them. That's not how training looks inside of the, well, maybe it might look like, it might look like, shit, that sounds awesome. But it's just difficult to take every study and immediately apply it to everything that you do and just take it as being, you know, the gospel. A lot of it's just garbage too. Like if people were to like read, I mean, dude, if people were to read the methods in these training studies, like that article or that uh, lecture that I'm doing right now on frequency for um, the mentoring lab, like there's like about 10 studies and in, in, uh, people that they call trained um, and 40% of those studies, they're training five or six days a week and only doing two sets a day per movement. Like, and you like people look at those studies and be like, well, frequency doesn't seem to matter. You can just train one day a week. It's one day versus five or six. And it's like, it's not what we're trying to compare. That's not what we fucking give a shit about. <laughs> nobody, nobody who likes frequency or is arguing for frequency is arguing that you should train a muscle five or six fucking days a week. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jay, you made me think of something that's a real big, a real big red flag for me is when you hear people say something like the science shows or the science proves it's like science does not show and it does not prove things. It suggests things. It suggests that training one time a week is better than five times a week. Not showing that it's not proving that it's leading ever so slightly towards an informed and educated conclusion that could still be wrong. The door is always left open to be for that to be wrong. Yeah. It's always, it's, it's theory. It's theoretical. It's like everything. It's someone's idea. They tested it. It's their idea. And it's basically correct until someone proves it incorrect. So that seems like a weird way to like, I wish I could do that in my house. Like I wish that I could just be wrong or right all the time. And Katie would go, well, shit, you're right. I haven't figured out a way to prove you wrong, but there's times where I'm just fucking wrong. Like before I even say anything, she's like, no, that's wrong. So that's, that's not how <laughs> you can go about your training is that you can't, you can't just like, like Dom was saying, sort of cherry pick studies. And that is how you come to conclusions on how to handle training or nutrition. It just doesn't, it's not how it works. I know everything. 
Well, I mean, that's clearly true. Well, you're now not I picture gonna Jay know just here in a few months. sitting on the couch and he's like thinking about some shit. And before he even gets a word out of his mouth, Kay's just like, wrong. And he's like, you know what? You're right. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, you're right. That's how it goes here. I just keep my fucking head down. I keep my mouth shut. And that's how I survive. Only way. Dom, agree, disagree? I agree. <laughs> All right, folks, that is going to wrap us up for the day. We are coming up on that hour mark. Uh, does anyone have anything they want to leave the people with? Anything, any, any words of wisdom? Just don't forget, if you are a married man, you are always wrong. That's one takeaway. Paul, if you're not a married man, what's, what's a takeaway for them? Always wipe front to back. Pause, always, though. Always. Always wipe in circles. You should question everything. That kind of sounds like bullshit to me. Like, there's never a circumstance we want to wipe back to front. <laughs> How big are your wipes? <laughs> are you just indiscriminately, like, reaching back there and just pulling all the way up to your belly button? Like, <laughs> are you not? <laughs> there you go, folks little marital advice a little wiping your butt <laughs> advice and that's where we'll leave you if that didn't earn us a like a comment or subscribe i don't know what it will you can go ahead and just eggs out now but if you did you know drop us some love and we'll see you on the next one as always folks stay gifted bye bye